Here in the studios on the phone, we have Jess Campbell from Carroll's Creek Farms speaking to the impact of the COVID-19 with local businesses. Carroll's Creek Farms is located at 10045 Brooks Carroll Road in Waynesville, Ohio. Now, Jess, with the COVID-19 virus, can you tell me how it has impacted you and your business? Yes, um, we on, are on the positive side of being affected, which isn't the case throughout all of agriculture, um, because the stores have not been in stock with as much product as usual, especially in the meat case. People have been seeking other options. And while we have had the on-farm store on our farm, we call it the meat retreat for um, since October of 2018, we've always just had kind of a handful of people a day there. Most of our primary business was at farmer's markets and wholesale to restaurants, etc. However, when everything started to get very tight, people looked for other options to be able to put food on the table, and we had plenty of stock. So there was a lot more people who had never ventured out to the farm before coming out as well as some of our regulars. So it's been great to be able to keep protein on the table for the local community. Well, that's good. And when you say local community, it's not only just Waynesville. People shop you from how far away? Um, we get people from the Cincinnati and Dayton Metro, a little bit more Dayton because we do sell at the Second Street Market in Dayton, um, mm-hmm. where they're only meat vendor when they are open. So we have a pretty good following in that area. Now, as far as your supplies, uh, you know, you are correct. There are people looking for protein now and that maybe not be able to find it through the big box stores. Um, speak to that. How much um, do you have in hand or on stock right now to, that you could sell? Um, We have walk-in freezers in a building on our farm because it's important for us to keep inventory year-round. Now, obviously, we are selling a lot more than normal right now. So the great thing about the agricultural community is we tend to work together, especially in hard times. So we know we had other local farmers who depend on farmers markets who were affected. So as some of our actual product inventory came lower, We reached out to partner farmers who have the same philosophy on raising products as we do, kind of the same practices and outlook, and also have a great product. So it was a solution for them to make sure that they could keep, you know, their feed bills paid and the lights on, but then also a solution for us to make sure that we had enough protein that people were coming here and having a good experience, and we had plenty of inventory with most products. Now, from my understanding with our conversation earlier, your cows are actually fed off of your own grass and they're able to graze but most feedlot cattle are are not uh, not produced that way correct well it depends so the life cycle of most commercial cattle the majority of the cattle supply in the u.s would be um, raised on grass with their moms on the cow calf operations and then backgrounded which means they are fed grass kind of during their cow teenage years and then after they grow to a certain weight maybe about six seven hundred pounds they're usually sent out west for feedlots to be fed a corn diet and people do that locally here Um, and the reason they feed them corn and other grains is that they grow faster Um, we believe in management intensive grazing and using grass which is a renewable resource 
to raise our cattle. So we do it in a slower fashion than what you would do commercially. So kind of the heritage way of raising cattle, when you think of like bison roaming on the open plains, it's kind of that same concept with cattle. They can grow off grass, which is amazing. And so we allow them with their special stomachs to do that. Now, what's the average weight of something going to market? Our average cattle are about 1,100 pounds, whereas, again, the grain-fed cattle would be significantly heavier, probably 1,500 pounds, 1,300 pounds, something like that. Uh, more fatty, or is it, is it leaner? Um, some of it is breed and selection, um, but also, yes, so when they have a diet that has grain in it, they will have more fat or marbling, mm. and both inside and outside of the muscle. So our beef is very lean. You'll never see a prime grass-fed steak, but you might on a grain-fed animal. Mm -hmm. But it does grow slower and stay leaner throughout its life cycle. So in reference to pricing, uh, I know you have more cost in raising your cattle versus uh, the other way uh, that they do it. Um, what's the price comparison? Um, our ground beef, for example, is $8 a pound. And I think if you go to Kroger's and find their grass-fed beef section, it's usually between $5.50 and $7.50 a pound, whereas normal ground beef could be $4 a pound. So it's about a 2x price increase for both the effect of it being local and for it being grass-fed. How many head of cattle do you have right now? Um, we have about 60 head right now. So um, we will continue to increase that as the grass comes on here in the spring. And you say you'll continue to increase it. How do you obtain your cattle? Um, we do get some bull calves from a neighbor uh, that milks Jersey cattle and bottles the milk that we sell. Uh -huh. These bull calves obviously cannot be milked because they're males. Right. So we take them as day olds and bottle feed them and raise them entirely on the farm. And then we also have a couple partners that give us weaned beef cattle as well. So when they come off their mom before, we would take them at about 300 pounds and keep them at the farm the rest of the time. Gotcha. Now let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about this, um, the pigs or the pork that you have and you raise. Yep. We raise uh, Berkshire and Duroc pork, which is kind of like the Angus of pork. Um, the white hogs are known for growth, but some of these breeds that we use are known more for flavor. So we raise these heritage breeds. We have the moms on site. We breed them and then farrow out the litters. And then once the pigs are about 40 pounds, we run them back to a fenced-in woodlot we have, and they roam there for the rest of their lives. Gotcha. So I have uh, had some people tell me that the taste of your product uh, surpasses all other products that are out there and so i am looking forward to getting a sample myself so i'll be out to visit you here soon so the lambs that you also have there can you talk about that as well yes yeah. we have about 60 u lambs or mom lambs and we are lambing out we're right at the tail end of lambing season right now so there's about 80 babies on the ground and we'll grow those out on the grass here throughout the next year and um, those are what our flock becomes to go to market so we butcher about 60 to 80 lambs a year and um, again they're 100 percent grass-fed because like the cattle they're ruminants and they can use both hay and grass to grow now your uh, chicken flocks 
you have meat and also uh, just layers, Laying I guess. Hens. Yeah. 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 Yep. Talk about that. So we have about 400 laying hens that produce eggs every day, which is nice when everybody's scrambling for eggs. Uh-huh. So we don't have to wait for the truck to come. They're just laid every day and we send our sons to go out and pick them up and put them in a basket. Yeah. Our eggs are brown and green and white because we, again, just think the presentation of them and using some of the heritage breed is half the fun for people. So there are real green eggs and ham. <laughs> so <laughs> they're called Easter eggers. And... Um, we also raise broiler chickens, so the meat chickens, and right now they're in the barn, but probably the next flock we get will be out in our chicken tractors in which we move them around on pasture during the weather advantageous times to do so. So how many dozen of, dozen eggs do you collect a day? Um, well, with the 400 hens, about 300 of them will lay an egg wow. every day. So, wow. yeah. Quite a bit. So your uh, kids, which I do do not want to neglect here, Rhett and Lane, uh, ages three and six, they they have some chores. Um, we largely started this farm from scratch because of the fact that we were expecting our first child when we bought the land, um, and we wanted him to be raised on a farm lifestyle and grow up valuing hard work and where his food comes from in the outdoors. So. Um, they're kind of the why behind creating this farm in the first place. Now, you said we. So uh, your husband, Adam, and yourself uh, met somewhere. You want to talk about that and how this whole thing got started? Yeah, sure. So my husband, Adam, works full-time on the farm and raises the boys. Um, And then I still have a job off the farm working with large swine producers on their credit facilities or doing financing. But we met back at Ohio State as since we're both Buckeyes and we met in the agricultural college we both had come from I'm from Mason originally and did not grow up on a farm but was love loved 4-H and had exposure to animals and he loved 4-H and was from a small hobby farm in Washington Courthouse and we met at Ohio State in our agricultural sorority and agricultural fraternity mixer and um, the rest is kind of history. We've been together ever since, and we both kind of had the same dreams of wanting to find a way to get back to the farm and create our own legacy at some point. Now, currently you have about 90 acres, is that correct, that you farm? Yes, And you correct. consider yourself a small farmer? <laughs> uh, we're actually very small when you look at uh, compared to commercial farms. Like, whereas we have 20 sows, most of the customers I work with have like 20,000 sows. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're kind of tiny, but um, we feel like we're working more in, in an area that has 220,000 people in the county, like Warren County. We feel that this type of agriculture that's more community knitted is more of something that will stand the test of time as growth continues to come in an area that was once almost primarily agricultural, but now has a lot of suburban influence. I think with the pandemic, the COVID virus, people are starting to reevaluate things. And I I would imagine agricultural, uh, from the agricultural side, people are really Uh, taking a look at it a little bit differently than what they used to. In other words, I'm going to Kroger's, no big deal. But now, since some of the bigger stores cannot supply the demand, people have been forced to look elsewhere, which is good, obviously, for you and your business. But I wonder if the trend will continue because once, obviously, you get uh, accustomed 
to a certain lifestyle and a certain kind of routine, it's hard to break that routine. But now that that routine for all of us has been broken, uh, we find new avenues to explore. Do you find that your business is increasing now? Yes. Unfortunately, I feel like we're one of the few that are profiting off the pandemic here. Um, But bigger than that, I guess our hope during all of this is that people, one, respect all kinds of farmers because they are essential. Everybody, big or small, is getting up every day and choring the barns and taking care of the animals. And I hope that this food scarcity that we've really never experienced in our lifetime wakes people up to the importance of farmers across the U.S. and what they do to continue to feed people because most people are very far removed from the farm today. Secondly, I hope that there's a lot of small local farms knitted throughout the fabric of not our community, but every community that these people hopefully on an ongoing basis don't become the stopgap for the crisis, but become more a part of their everyday buying selection as they see that having food right here in your backyard is worth something. There is a value to that. And I mean, people can drive down our driveway to get to our meat retreat and see the actual cattle they're going to eat in a couple months grazing out in front. That kind of transparency and understanding I feel is kind of enlightening for people to continue to respect where food comes from and the sacrifice of the animal and working with nature rather than just buying a package in Kroger that says ground beef. Both are equally safe, but getting people to be more in tune with their food, use it all, not waste, cook at home, actually have some cooking acumen and know what to do with these cuts. I think these are the kind of things we're all waking up to right now. And I think while the overall situation is very, very challenging and it's scary for all of us, I hope that there's some positives, including awareness to food and local communities and respect for agriculture that come out of it. Being being a fairly new farmer, is there anything that stands out to you that if you were giving yourself advice as a new farmer, you would say, man, I wish I would have thought about this? Oh, I think starting this thing up from scratch, uh, there's about a thousand things we would have done differently in hindsight, but the journey has been very rewarding. Um, I think the biggest thing that we had to learn was you know, you need to, you can't please everybody. Everybody wants us to do, you know, all, let's just say like, you need to have all your feed be one way. And there'll be some people with very strong opinions. You kind of have to understand the niche you're willing to fill and stick to it. Because for a long time, we were trying to listen to everybody and adjust. I think the other piece is stick to what you're good at. Um, Some people ask us for things like maple syrup, which we used to do and tap our trees but it really took away from the core of our business or why we don't raise vegetables. Like you can't be good at everything. So stay at what you are good at and work and refer throughout the ag community to get those other products filled. Yeah, I agree. When um, restaurants that are so good at certain things start branching off into other things, you start scratching your head. Like why just concentrate on what you're good at. That way I know exactly where to go when I want that product. Right. So we think we're good at raising livestock. We're going to stay in that vein. When you think about commercial farms larger than us, very often they're only raising one species because they are that niched in and that excellent at it. So, What is your uh, dream for your farm? 
our dream is to continue to grow with the demand. If people choose to um, want to buy local more, then we can continue to expand our land base. But bigger than that, we want it to be a showcase for conservation. We're currently applying for the conservation easements through the U.S. that would allow our land to never be turned into anything but a farm and that we're doing the right conservation practices here. And our hope is we can get all of these things in place and it all working in harmony before our boys come back. And if they choose to farm, then that business model, we've already worked out all the kinks. We've done all the retrofits for conservation and we're already connected to the community. So what would be your ask for our listener audience? Well, um, if they'd love to come out and try us, we'd appreciate them coming to the farm. Um, There's a lot less people in our little meat shack than Kroger. So if you're sensitive (laughs) to that with the COVID virus, it's a good solution. And then if you don't even want to leave leave your home, um, there is Market Wagon, which is an online ordering system that would deliver every Thursday. That's us and a bunch of other local farmers. Um, And also don't forget all your other local farmers. They're just as important. so. So the Market Wagon, how do they get in touch with those? It's an online platform to order. So you will go to www.marketwagon.com and you could click the Southwest Ohio or Columbus, depending on where you're at, um, most likely Southwest Ohio market. And then all of the local artisans like the bread, milk, et cetera, plus vegetables from local people and meat from us and various other farmers are on there. So you can click to get those products delivered and fully support local without leaving your home. That's kind of neat. It's almost like a grub hub for the farmers. <laughs> yes, yes. It's been a lot more popular in recent weeks, and we think it's a great solution because there's two. I kind of see agriculture bifurcating on the direct-to-consumer into experience-based, like coming out to our farm and seeing and touching these things, or convenience-based, and it kind of fills the convenience-based piece of niche farming. Well, you've been listening to Jess Campbell of Carroll Creek Farms, located in Waynesville, Ohio. You owe it to yourself to go up there and to grab some product from her. Jess, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Mike, for having us. And if they want to check us out, we have Facebook and a website. You can see the farm online, too. Well, thanks, Jess Campbell, for coming on the show. You and your husband, Adam, are always welcome. Folks, thank God for the American farmer. We appreciate their efforts and all that they're doing, especially around this time where we need their help more than ever. This is your host, Michael Myers, from the Let's Talk studios here in Lebanon, Ohio.